Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. Lost is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Raps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. I've got a bit of bad news I think. I, I, I don't know if, well I don't know if this is bad news, that depends on you. I suppose you could think of it as more of an announcement, an announcement I should say, uh, but we unfortunately are no longer a 1PW podcast. I know I said when 1PW came back, we'd be watching and reviewing every show. Um, but I just haven't. I just can't do it. Um, and they had a show last week, and it was 15 quid on pay-per-view, which is fine. You know, I, I know obviously there's going to be a cost to this sort of thing, and I'm going to have to pay, put my hand in my pocket every now and then. But obviously things are tight at the minute. My mortgage has gone up by 200 quid. We've got to really look after the pennies. And I took my nephew, I've got a little nephew, he's 18 months old, uh, and they had Owls at Gordon Riggs Garden Centre in Todmorden, which really ages me that, doesn't it? I realise I say that that out loud. I'm definitely way into my 30s now. If on a Saturday I think, oh, do you know what would be good? I'm going to take my nephew to Todmorden to see the Owls. Uh, But we did, we went to see the Owls and it was great. He, he He wasn't one bit interested which was frustrating because you have to give a donation, which is which is fine. You know, you give a donation, and it helps this owl sanctuary. Uh, but you can sort of put them on your arm and stuff like that and get a picture with them. And uh, he wasn't bothered. So I, that was, that talking about money, that was a fiver down the drain because I put a fiver in the pot and he barely looked at them, the little terror. Uh, but he, he did love the fish that you can see for free. So, you know, kids, I guess, isn't it? it's the old, the old cliche of the, you buy them a, a really expensive toy and you and you they play with the box. I mean, I've not got kids, but that seems to be the key theme of having children uh, as an adult is that you, well, obviously as an adult, but you buy things for them, really expensive things, and they don't show any interest. So for his first birthday, I bought him, he loves cars, and I bought him one of those... Um, Oh, what's the name? It'll come to me, but it's, you know, the, the typical yellow and red car that, that all kids have. And I, I thought he'd love it. 
and I bought him this one with a floor in it so he, he, he can go in it now and it'll, it'll last him for years as he gets older because you can take the floor out when he can get his feet down and run around in it. And they were like 60 quid. So I spent 60 quid on him getting this, this uh, is it Little Tykes? Can't remember. Well, anyway, I got him one of these cars and he, he just wasn't interested at all. He took one look at it and went back to playing with the old toys that I've got him lying around. And at one point on, he, on his own birthday, at his own birthday party, I had him in my hands and I was forcing him into this car as he cried. And my wife was saying, just leave him alone. If you don't want to get in it, don't get, you know, he doesn't have to go in it. And I'm thinking, I spent 60 quid on this. It's took me about seven hours to put it together. He's getting in it. Um, and in the end, I had to drop it. But anyway, I'm at the, in Todmorden looking at these owls. And um, I'm in the shop afterwards. And I see a vintage cave age cheddar for seven quid. And obviously, you can't just get the vintage cave age cheddar. As, as visitors to my Discord channel or my, my uh, area in the Voices of Wrestling Discord channel will know that you don't just get the cheese, you've got to get the chutney, you've got to get the crackers. So you started seven quid on this cheese, but it's soon going to escalate. And then I thought, you know what? One PW is going to have to go. And I, think, I felt momentarily bad about it because I thought, I've got a choice here between vintage cave age cheddar and my dear listeners. And I'd, 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 I'd love doing this podcast and I love building up a bit of an audience and, and having people listen to it, but... I'm sorry to say that the KVs Shadow won. So we're not going to look at 1PW. And it's a bit of a shame because I am going to try and um, hunt down. There was an Osprey-Robbie X match and I've heard no one talk about it other than Robbie X. But that's going to be brilliant, isn't it? You know, just hearing those names that that match is going to be fantastic. And Osprey's just on the run of a lifetime at the minute. And Robbie X is Robbie X. I mean, talk about Osprey. It came out this week that he won the Wrestling Observer uh, Most Outstanding Wrestler of the Year. And he won it by a long margin. Nobody else was even close. And I think sometimes if if you're on the Twitter and you're online, you, you start to doubt yourself a little bit. You know, well, not doubt yourself, but you doubt how other people see things. And, and Osprey gets a lot of flack that's aimed at his wrestling. And you think... Oh, is he really as well regarded as as I think he is? Is he really the amazing wrestler? And then you know you see those votes and you realise actually when it's put to the public, he is. He's just undeniably next level. And that's going to be a key theme of today's episode because I'm breaking another promise. I know I said I wasn't going to do uh, very very heavily Rev Pro based things as much, but I'm dedicating this episode to Rev Pro because. As you've seen from the show title, RevPro are back. RevPro are back. The RevPro that I love and that got me into writing about wrestling, that finally gave me the kick up the arse to email Rich Crate at Voices of Wrestling and say, can I write about wrestling for you? I've got a lot to say about this promotion. And that put me on this really rewarding journey that I've been on for the last five, six, seven years or so. Um, that RevPro, the exciting RevPro, um, are they going to be back forever? I don't know. But they've had a fantastic run of shows and I, I've got to talk about them. I've, I've got to get excited about them and get some passion back because I feel like the back end of last year on some episodes, I'd just get really angry and I'd start shouting and my dog would go to his bed and, and sort of twitch his eyebrows because he doesn't really, <laughs> he thinks I'm upset or something like that. 
I want to get back into talking about wrestling that I love. And this last week or so when I've been watching the, the Red Pro shows, I'm just ready to talk about them and I'm ready to be passionate about them. Um, what I was going to talk about as well, I and mean, it's not gone up, is the Reese show. I think that's how you pronounce it in France. Because there was a Will Ospreay match on that against Tristan Archer that was supposed to be absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I I, I can't wait to watch it. But unfortunately, um, it's just not gone up on their YouTube yet. They did stream it live on Twitch. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I missed it. And I, I had lots and lots of people, about three or four people DMing me. Uh, saying, oh, you've got to watch this Will Ospreay match, it's brilliant. And, uh, you know, it's, it's only five minutes in, it's already great, go and watch it. And I, I could only admit to one or two of those people that the reason why I wasn't watching it is because I was having a Warhammer Age of Sigma night and that I was playing my Ideneth Deepkin against my friend's demons. And it was a bit like, oh, I'm missing out on this because I want to do that. But anyway, you know, I'm not ashamed of it, really. I think it's brilliant. Uh, but as soon as that goes up on the YouTube channel, I think we'll just talk about the whole show because there's lots of great people on there. You know, we've got um, Eagle Blog was on there, Senza Volto, Connor Mills, David Francisco, uh, favourite of the show. So as soon as that uh, re-show goes up, um, we will watch it. And it's not a promotion that I... I've ever seen, I don't think. I know the names from Twitter and, and seen them, but they just this show apparently was, was absolutely brilliant, so I, I can't wait to watch it. But what we are going to talk about, as I said, is WebPro. They've got on this little mini tour over the past week or so. Um, suppose it started in uh, Southampton, although I don't know if you could call that a tour because that's they run Southampton a lot, same venue they run all the time. Uh, they've gone to Cardiff, Birmingham. Uh, they're going to go up to Sheffield, and I, I've had a lot of questions over Red Pro recently. A lot of things that I've not really enjoyed about them, and they've really answered a lot of those criticisms for me this week. It's been a completely different feeling promotion. You know the way Red Pro booking cycles and it. it They'll get a group of wrestlers. They'll all wrestle each other till they, it feels like they've done every possible permutation of that roster. And then Andy Quilder will go away and shake them up and, and, and move on to something else. It felt like that kind of trough, that sort of stagnant booking has been around for a while now. And things started to change a couple of weeks ago when we talked about live in London. But this week, it's been an it's been like watching a different promotion. It's been exciting. It's been engaging, different. It's it's had that that freshening up that it so desperately needed. And there's lots of talking points from those shows that I want to I want to go through. So it's going to be quick hitters in parts because there's three shows to go through, and I normally only get through two in the hour and a half because I can't stop myself talking. So we're going to do Southampton, Cardiff and Birmingham. So let's get straight down south to Southampton and talk about Repro Live. You know, it's funny how your perception changes of promotions and your perception changes of of, of different places where wrestling happens because I was excited to watch this show. I heard good things about it and I was 
really into the last Red Pro show, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to get into this. And then when I pressed start on the VOD, the hard cam was off center again. You know, it was like sometimes Red Pro do that isometric camera. <laughs> the ring, you know, like an old game of XCOM on your Pentium 2 computer, like a, a game of an Infinity Engine game, like Baldur's Gate 2 or something, and it just really made me roll my eyes and think, oh no, we're back to, we're back to this same old Red Pro that we've had for the past sort of few months, um, but to its credit, by the end of the show, I'd, I'd stopped noticing it, I'd stopped, I'd stopped even registering it in my brain. So, I'm not going to go on a rant about production today. The sound was what it was. I think it was actually slightly better, but I'm going to save you a rant about RevPro sound. And as I say, that's a perception thing, isn't it? The sound's the same as it's always been. But when I was reviewing shows two years ago, well, sort of pre-pandemic shows, I never mentioned it. It never occurred to me that it was a big deal. But when the wrestling's lacking, you start to notice things a little bit more. Do you know, actually, I've just said the wrestling's lacking. That's unfair on Red Pro. The wrestling never really lacks. And again, that's that weird perception thing, isn't it? The wrestling is always really good. And I think if you just drop into Red Pro and watch occasional shows, you're going to come away from each show going, yeah, there were some good matches on that. I enjoyed it. The problem is, people like you and me, we watch it all, don't we? So we end up getting into this weird kind of cycle of not really appreciating what's going on because it feels like we just see the same things over and over again. Like we've seen Sunshine Machine all the time and they're not really doing anything different. They're not really doing anything exciting. And then sort of the icing on the bad cake, the carrot cake, which is the worst of all cakes, is that the booking has been not just stagnant in terms of who they were pairing against each other, so the matchmaking side of booking, but the booking in terms of what happened in the matches was often really at odds with what people, I think, have grown to love about RevPro. Or at least me. as well. I mean, I feel like I'm speaking for, for the RevPro fan because I am the RevPro fan. You know, sometimes you just think, oh, is this just me? But I think, no, RevPro is aimed at people like me. You know, people that want quality work, that want long matches. And they build, they build into that capital. You know, they run these little intimate venues and, and, and book proper matches with exciting talent where wrestling is at the forefront. But then Andy seems to go through these phases where he'll just book, like with the greedy souls, he'll just book a huge stream of messy finishes. And, you know, the Lycos is doing stupid stuff and overly convoluted, overly complicated things and... I think the excuse me the overall feeling that I've got from these last few shows is that they've really started to move away from that and move back into the simpler little stories that you could always sink your teeth into. Like, is anyone watching The Last of Us at the minute? And I don't know if you've played the game, but the reason why that game is one of my favourite games of all time is because the simplicity of the story just punches you in the chest. Yeah, you've got this convoluted, complicated world with fireflies and resistance and 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 you know clickers and, and zombies and, and survival and all this stuff. But ultimately what it's about is grief and about a man who's lost his daughter learning to build relationships again with people, learning to be a good person. And I think, you know, that's true 
of everything, isn't it? Every story, if you can boil it down into those simple human emotions, it hits a lot harder. And wrestling is at its best when it does that. And I think Red Pro are starting to show those old signs that they really understand that. Because, like I say, they've been so hit and miss. You know, you'd have the awful convoluted stuff with um, with Greedy Salts. And then you have that Oku Mills story, which was a big part of the year. And it, it, it's funny when you look back on that Oku Mills story and kind of reflect on it, because I'm still unsure as to whether it hit or missed. I really don't know. Some shows it really hit and it really spoke to me, that story. And then other weeks it really didn't. You know, other weeks it just felt too convoluted and too pro wrestling. But I think you forgive the Oku Mills thing because it was ambitious and it was trying to do something new and exciting and interesting and tell a great story. Whereas with the rest of the booking, it was just kind of like, you know, wrestling 101, wasn't it? Flicking through an old WWE match reports and just choosing whatever it is that they want to, um, you know, do from that almost at random. But anyway, I'm digressing because, like I say, they're not doing this anymore. So we're down to Southampton. The camera's off centre, but we'll we'll let it go. And uh, we had Danny Jones against Robbie X to open. And Robbie X is a wrestler that is really worth sinking your teeth into because it's really interesting what they're doing with Robbie X. If you you know, if you like me and you like thinking about these stories and these booking choices, because up until six months ago, I think they'd used Robbie X absolutely perfectly. There's a part of Robbie X's story that is missing from a lot of people's conversation. And in a way, that's kind of the victim of who he is. I think if you're a booker, what you want is a roster with four or five Robbie X's. You know, guys who are never going to be your champion. You know, and I'm not, I know that sounds like I'm, I'm criticising him out the gate, but I'm not. I, I think he's brilliant, Robbie X. But he's never going to be a guy you're going to put on top. He's never going to be the big drawing star. What he is is a guy who does incredibly athletic things, who does captivating matches, who can put together brilliant matches full of amazing high spots and can get people over. And the bit that I think he's missing, that I was talking about a second ago, from the analysis of Robbie X, is what he did for Ricky Knight Jr. Now, Ricky Knight Jr. is a, a firebrand, isn't he? He is a guy that you're going to want to put on top. But when Andy got Southside and brought in Robbie X and RKJ, he put them in a series of matches together. And I think the reason why people forget about those matches, because they, they were mostly great apart from the last one. You know, they were having matches at the London shows and the Southampton shows and these little shows, and they were so good. I was giving them like four, four and a quarter, because you know what those two guys are like. They lay things in just that little bit harder. They, <coughs> excuse me, they go for that extra little punch. And unfortunately, it all built up to a match at York Hall, and I was ready for that match. I was thinking, hey, yeah, let's go. Let's get that four and a quarter to four and a half, four and three quarters. And one of the things I've learned about Ricky Knight Jr. is, is sometimes with Ricky Knight Jr., you're kind of rolling a dice. And it's trick. And some of that's been the booking. You know, his championship run wasn't great, and a lot of that was because they wasted opportunities when he was booked. And 
then he got injured. So it kind of is what it is that I think it's it's a shame that you can never have that first win again because he, he's had it now. But also sometimes Ricky Knight Jr. does that to himself. He kind of drops the ball himself sometimes. I mean, he's young, isn't he? He's he's very raw talent still. You know, he's, he needs a, a bit of refinement. But putting him against Robbie X was a brilliant move and a brilliant use of Robbie X. And something happened to Robbie in the past year or so where he really found his charisma. I remember watching the promos he did sort of around pandemic time and I suppose, yeah, up to about a year ago and they were awful. You know, he's in the ring. He just couldn't really emote very well. It felt like he was doing moves, sort of posing, you know, rather than being natural. And something just happened to him where he it all just suddenly clicked. And now he's got a great charisma. And he's much more of a total package. And he got the push then, didn't he? He got, you know, Oku was moving away from the Cruiserweight title. Because, I mean, he'd had it ages and he was ready to freshen things up. They wanted to give Luke Jacobs a bit of a boost. And then they make Robbie X the champion. And it's a tricky thing, isn't it, making Robbie X a champion? Because beforehand, when he was the guy who did the amazing moves and could work with anybody and you'd have exciting matches with him, it didn't matter if you beat him. You could, you could, Anyone could beat Robbie X and Robbie X would stay at the same level of being over that he was beforehand. Yet now, he's a champion. And you can't just beat your champions. Not in a promotion like Red Pro. I know, it feels like almost when you say things like that nowadays, it's like an old-fashioned opinion. That, oh yeah, you can beat, but you, you know, you obviously can't just beat your champions. And he's not had this great run of victories that he needed to have as a champion. Because they're still kind of using him like the old Robbie X. And this, to me, is epitomised by this match, this Danny Jones against Robbie X. Why book him against the tag team champion? Because someone's got to lose. And I know there's an argument to be said that, oh, you could do a screwy finish, but we're not going to entertain that because that's actually worse than what we're talking about now. But someone's got to lose. And in this case, it was Robbie X. And the match was was good, you know. Rob, I, I still think Danny Jones struggles a little bit with the faster men. He, he, he's sort of not... Always in the perfect position. He's not a good base, as a lot of people are saying nowadays. Um, he's Well, it's not fair to say he's not good, but he's not great at it, I don't think. But then he beat Robbie X. And in a way, I get it, because he's the tag team champion, but then you've got to think, you know, there's that old cliche, if you didn't have to book this match. And he's kind of booked himself into a corner. And to me you lose a little bit more by beating Robbie X than by beating Danny Jones in this situation. I know Danny Jones is a champion as well, but there's the idea that he's a tag team specialist, you know? You could get Robbie X... Sorry, I'm fantasy booking here, which I promise not to do, but just, just indulge me for a second. You could have Robbie X beat Danny Jones, challenge for the tag team belt, Robbie X has to find a partner, and then uh, Greedy Souls pin that partner. That seems to me to be the really obvious story that you could have told if you wanted to do this match because obviously the match itself in a vacuum is a great idea 
you know, Robbie X's selling was off the charts in this one. You know, the babyface comeback thing. He was the he was the smaller, faster man being beaten down by the big bruiser. And that's just an old classic story that's been told a million times in pro wrestling and for a reason. We don't get bored of the 12-bar blues. We don't get bored of this sort of, you know, the small baby face being beaten by the big heel. It's a great story. But just having that ending just really made me sit and think, like, there was more you could have done with this. And it's weird in a way, that not it? Because it kind of goes against what Andy normally does. You know, Andy would normally want to get the couple of matches out of this. He'd normally want to drag it on as much as he could. But he's just sort of had Robbie X losing to Danny Jones here. I, I don't know. I just think it was unnecessary and I, I, it makes me think it was strange. Although, there was a fantastic line in this from the commentary. The, I have to say, the commentary's been really good for these three shows. But there was a line that Andy said that stuck with me. And I'm going to use this. I'm going to put this in my lexicon and just have it as one of those phrases that you say that no one outside of our bubble knows what it means. So you know things like when you say, cleaner, I got this or, you know, whatever it might be, some sort of little wrestling phrase, or shades of X, you know. I'm going to start saying, some of the best frying pans are small. Because that's what Andy said. And he's right. Some of the best frying pans are small. You want two fried eggs, you want to keep them in a good shape, you use a small frying pan. Anyway, next up, we had uh, Gideon Gray and Lucian Phillips against Lycos Jim. (laughs) Gideon Gray is now... (laughs) <laughs> identifying as the greatest wrestler in the world. And you know what? I think he's up there. And yet again, yet again on the Observer Awards for 2022, another year has gone by where Gideon Gray didn't receive any votes for best on interviews. And with him being booked in New Japan, I thought he had a chance. Not to win, but just to you know get an honourable mention or something. Because he... He really, really deserves some votes, and I don't vote. But if I did, I'd, I'd, I'd vote for him. I'm real. Do you know? I have to say, I'm really into this babyface Lycos team. I think it's isn't that just a really great story? And uh, what it's just brilliant is it these these art forms like wrestling and comic books where you can do these little resets and you can sort of just change things and and have you know yeah that happened in the past but we've moved on now and we've got better and we've changed. And the idea that Lycos are moving away, you know, Lycos 1 had that epiphany in the Robbie X match from the last show that even though he lost, he could be proud of himself because he he turned his back on the shenanigans and he wrestled as himself. And even though he didn't win, he didn't win as himself. And there's just something really powerful about that, like a little story. And this hasn't been explicitly said, you know, it's just something that I've kind of picked up on. And I, I think it's brilliant that they've done that. Um, and that they, they're going on this sort of more babyface face run and we're having better wrestling. Uh, and this was, was good. It was a good tag match. There was lots of tension, you know, great hot tags. It was, it was, it was not one to go out of your way to watch, but I, I don't think if you're watching the show, you should skip it at all. It was, it was definitely enjoyable. Next up, we had Will Caven against JJ Gale. And again, I'm going to go through these matches as sort of a springing board to talk about the little stories. And again, great story they're telling with JJ Gale. That he was in this tag team, it wasn't successful, he's moved on from it and he's trying to get some singles wins and he's trying to prove himself. He's a young wrestler trying to prove himself and get better at the craft. 
and get wins under his belt. And what a brilliant little simple story that doesn't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't have to throw in all these little things, but it gets you in an emotional level, unlike the most convoluted WWE story. And I'm so into J.J. Gale. You know, he's been great since the split. And what's great about J.J. Gale is his offense is absolutely mental. The dives that he does and the cutters that he does. You know, lots of wrestlers do dives. All wrestlers do dives these days. Loads of wrestlers do cutters. But there's something about J.J. Gale that he makes them look wild. And he doesn't botch at all. He never botches. Or very rarely. But he just looks absolutely wild. He just built and built and built this match. And I, I really, I actually, again, changing your perception. I liked Will Caven here. And I was really critical of Will Caven. I can't, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Chris in the uh, in the Discord. They listened to a, a few shows in a row. And just listened to me slowly and slowly have a meltdown about Will Caven. And about, he is, he is corny. You know, he is a, a pound shop Seth Rollins. And he, he's still that. But he's he's working now with a JJ Gale on the second match for the show. And it kind of works. It, it just works a lot better. He's not in the middle of what should have been an exciting period in the cruiserweight division. Ruining that. And actually, I think his offense has really come together. He's much more wild now. Like, he does the wild punches more. He fits them in better. He paces the matches better. And JJ, you know, what was great about this, there was all these wild things, and then JJ Gale just locked Caven into a triangle and tapped him out. You know, there's lots of elements to Gale's game that I really like, and it just feels like we're at the start of a push here. And all these little nuances of story, not these big slaps, these big subtlety hammers, this little nuance of stories. Look, I've tried the tag team thing. It didn't work out. I'm, re- <coughs> I'm recommitting myself and I'm going for the uh, for a singles win. Brilliant. Loved it. Really into it. Guess what we had next? A match that we've been building towards in the weirdest possible way. It's finally Dan Maloney against Luke Jacobs. Dan Maloney's story over these three shows has been superb. Superb. And considering Dan Maloney's story for the past six months has been utter crap, I'm so relieved to say that Dan Maloney is back. So relieved to say that he's getting some great booking here. Because he deserves it. He's brilliant, Dan Maloney. He was trapped in that really awful, is he going to go down to Cruiserweight? Is he not? He wanted a feud with Luke Jacobs and we didn't really know why. He was interfering in matches and he was, you know, going with these absolutely awful promos that just were unnatural and were a bit chavvy and like chavvy in a bad way. Yeah, what they've decided to do now is just do the match. And you know what? It was a great match. It was punches. There was a bit of a walk and brawl, which I don't really like. But then, once Dan Maloney speared Luke Jacob into some chairs, I'm in. Brilliant. All on board. You know, Luke Jacobs got Dan Maloney in a delayed brain buster, and as he's held up, 
with the blood rushing to his head to make that brain buster even more devastating. He's doing suck it moves with his hand. What do the flagship call it? Dumb jock wrestling. And you're not too good for dumb jock wrestling. It's brilliant. It's emotive. It's real. Absolutely loved it. And a great thing as well with this is to see Luke Jacobs take yet another step. There was big question marks over Luke Jacobs for a long while about whether he'd hit his ceiling. And something happened in that match against Oku and he's just taken step after step after step. And the step that he's taken in this match, and we'll see this in other matches throughout the three shows, is that he's got those little subtle moments right, those little bits of emotion. His charisma, basically. So he'd get a big punch, or, you know, as in he'd be punched, and he'd get this offended face. Just a little thing, but your brain picks up on those things. You know, like that old thing about a cop's intuition, that a cop can drive into a bad situation and their brain's noticing all sorts of stuff that they, they're not registering, but they know it's added up to bad things. It's like that with wrestling sometimes. You know, these little things, these little emotions that good wrestlers could just drop in with a look or an eyebrow or, you know, something. You know, that's what... That's what the Johnny Garganos of the world don't understand. That's why I don't like him. I think he's one of the most overrated wrestlers on the planet. He's always got to be head in hands, big emotion, big... No, subtle. Don't... When you do... When you write, and I don't know if anyone's ever got any uh, um, experience of writing, but like creative writing, and you sort of go on a course or you, you you, you do something where you've been taught to write, one of the big things they tell you is show me, don't tell me. You you would never write, the man was really upset. You'd write, tears stream down the man's face. Because it connects you to it more. It makes you, your brain take that little step and make you know, put that piece of the jigsaw in. And I think that's so true of wrestling as well. You know, those, don't, don't tell me that you gutted somebody's kicked out by slamming your hand on the mat and making a big deal out of it. Show me in the context of a contest that, yes, this hasn't moved, but you've immediately got to go into the next thing and do it in that subtle way. And Jacobs is getting that now. It's not there perfectly yet. I'm not saying he's the finished product, but man alive did he have a match that I am itching to talk about later on, but it's going to be a while because it was the last match of the weekend. But man alive did he... I liked it so much, I'm shuffling my papers. The, the match against Osprey, oh my word. Stick around to him, my thoughts on that one. Next up was a really interesting one. Talk about roster shakeups. We had Cameron Kai against Michael Oku, and Cameron Kai's debuting. Um, he's seventeen years old, and he looks very young. He's jacked. I mean, I can't believe somebody looks like that at seventeen. You know, when you see a kid, and like, because he is a kid, isn't he? And you think, I have never, nor will I ever look like that. Just in perfect physical shape. And you, you know, it's like, well, I'm watching, like, I'm a big fan of motorbikes, and I'm watching MotoGP, and you ha- you come to that moment, don't you, that age where you realise that your time for dreams has passed. You know, they're, they're all, like, 25, and, you know, you're too late to even start. But anyway, Cameron Kai was out, and um, 
it was weird, and the commentary picked up on this that I liked that it's going to be strange for Oku not being the underdog, but it's a it's a new role for him and a role that he does really well. So Cameron Kai was was great, and I'll talk about him in a second. But there was little moments of this with Oku where Cameron would try and put Oku in a head scissors, but Oku was the veteran, so he just put his hand up and blocked it, and he'd shout, "Nope!" And it, it it's that again, that little understanding of storytelling. The Oku, I'm sure, could easily have gone out there and been the Oku that we saw against Minoru Suzuki. He could have put in that kind of performance. But he doesn't. He, he knows that that's not going to get Cameron Kai over because it's going to stand out as being weird and odd and strange that this kid's just come in and he's, he's, he's on that level. He's got to get him over slowly and subtly. He, he, he was brilliant at that. Kai's a, a bit of a full package, I have to say. I'm really excited for this guy. I, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him. He had a great mix between power stuff, like big Ushigaroshis, but then the speed stuff with, like, he did, he did the Mortal Kombat sweep and a kick straight afterwards. And what was great about this match is it was that lovely thing where when you're not familiar with a wrestler, and you could tell people in the audience weren't either, and they, were just, they just got behind Oku because everyone likes Oku. But there was a bit in this, this spot that he's got, and it's a repeated Northern Light suplex. You know, kind of like the Eddie Guerrero thing where he does the he he does the the, the hip shuffle and then we do another German and all that business. He kind of does something similar to that with a Northern Light suplex and a flip. And he did one, he did two, he did three, he did four. And by the time he did four, the crowd were just so behind him, and I was behind him as well. He was just a, it was just a pleasure to watch this person do something exciting and and I, yeah I thought he was great you know absolutely fantastic and again <coughs> little things little things like Oku did a frog splash and he looked like he tried to sit up at the last minute like he was trying to get his knees up but he couldn't quite do it because he was incapacitated that little thing and I think that's what they must be teaching them in Southampton. Oh, is it Portsmouth, sorry. The Portsmouth School of Wrestling, yeah, it is. I don't know what the curriculum is. I don't know what the syllabus is like. But it seems like they're teaching them the right stuff. And Cameron Kai is absolutely one for us to keep an eye on because we're just getting now this wonderful undercurrent of really talented young wrestlers. And I'm being very careful because obviously I'm, I'm aware that I'm part of this. But we can get a little bit overexcited about young wrestlers sometimes, I think. Because wrestling takes reps. You've got to wrestle a lot in front of a lot of different crowds. And because the scene is the way it is, we, we, we hold on to people too quickly. We say, right, this guy's the next best thing. Could Cameron Kai be the next big thing? Absolutely. But we, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit. He's really good. But let's let's see a few more matches. But I'll be watching them because I thought he was great. Talking of hot young wrestlers who everyone loves, we've got Yota Suji against Leon Slater. Leon Slater's charisma is amazing, isn't it? Do you know when you meet that... I was saying before about Cameron Kai and how I will never look like that, and I never have. I have never in my life been cool. And I'm maybe cool in an ironic way, you know, you know, the geeky kind of way. 
but I've always been a bit of a dork. And I could, if I really try my best to be cool, like if I'm around teenagers, I work with teenagers, and I'll, I'll try and be cool sometimes. And I can't do it. And you see that in wrestlers, don't you? Like, some of them just aren't cool. They're losers like we are. And they're playing a character. Whereas you know that when you see Leon Slater, that's just who he is, and he's a, he's just effortlessly cool. And I, what I love about Leon Slater is there's enough of that reality there, enough of that realism to make it feel like something you can connect to. Because it is, it's real. That's exactly what it is. Because it's real, you can connect to it. And obviously, Yota Suji is... We talked extensively last time about Yota Suji and about how he's he's overtaken Shota Amino. I'm building up to my article. I've done a couple of these now where every time Repro get a young lion, when they're about to go back to Japan, I just do... I call it the midterm report. And I, I do a bit of a breakdown of the career and where I think they're going to go. Um, I, I really enjoy writing them and, and I, I get good feedback on them. Other people seem to like them, which is cool. Um... And I'm preparing his at the minute. I've been working on it and, and just sort of getting the, the New Japan part ready. I think Yota Suji's fantastic. I really do. I, I think he's brilliant. And it'll be great to see him, you know, if he's got that Gideon Grey connection. Maybe that's going to be the link into a United Empire or what. I don't know. And I, I, frankly, I don't care. I'm not going to predict it. I'm not going to try and book it. I, I think he's going to be a brilliant, brilliant wrestler. Um, I think he's he's going to surpass Shota Aminu by by laps, quite frankly. Um, this match was actually <laughs> I'm saying all this. The actual match itself was a bit of a letdown. It was fundamentally fine. You know, there was nothing wrong with it. It's not like one of those things that I can point to and say, oh, it was this, it was that, there was a botch, whatever it might be. Um, it was just a little bit slow, I think, in parts. But, you know, they, they, these two aren't any to worry about, is it? It's just, it was still probably three and a half stars, you know? It's just, you know, <laughs> he, uh, Leon Slater still did that thing where he jumps over the ring post like a lunatic. So it was always going to be good. Um, next up, we had Osprey against Leighton Buzzard. Leighton Buzzard. This is weird. I... I knew who he was, as in I knew he was a wrestler. And somebody put in the office slack, oh, he was, he was late and buzzard, you know, somebody who's, who's not from the uh, from Britain. And I replied, because it feels like it's my job to know these things, and I was a bit like, do you know, I know the name, and I'm sure I've seen him wrestle, but I don't think I ever have. And Andrew, the fantastic Andrew Sinclair, whose TNA reviews you should absolutely be reading, because they're always fantastic. Um, said, oh no, he's, he's ICW champion. <laughs> and I just thought, do you remember ICW? <laughs> do you remember when they were, I mean, they always had the bit of the progress about them, didn't they? In the sense that it felt like a party and I've made it my life's mission and dedication not to go to parties. So, you know, it was, and I've never really felt like ICW, the home of Grado, <laughs> was for me. So... Um, I, I've just sort of forgot about them and they're on the WWE network and everything and I do a British and European wrestling podcast and they're one of the most prominent British and European wrestling promotions 
and I, I don't even know who that it's the champion test isn't it that old cliche I, I didn't even know that Leighton Buzzard was the champion but anyway uh, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm ruining all my immense amounts of credibility here uh, but Leighton Buzzard was um, uh, he did like the, the Osprey did the, an open challenge thing and Leighton Buzzard um, Buzzard answered it and you know what this this is the start of Osprey doing the babyface run. And he's great at it. You know, the ma- this match was really good. You know, there was loads of amazing submissions in it. Um, and Buzzard's got that thing where he's suddenly fast out of nowhere. You know, he's not a small wrestler. He's not a cruiserweight. But then he's suddenly quick. And he, he always sort of takes you by surprise. I mean, he, he does the rock bottom. So, you know, we'll, we'll let him off. But, yeah. And there was a brilliant, you know, it's Osprey that was the star of this. And there was a, he put Leighton Buzzard away, obviously. And, and, you know, I enjoyed Andy kind of burying ICW a little bit. You know, he was like, oh, he's, he's kind of did the, he's in the big leagues now stuff, which is appropriate and great. Um, but the ending, this promo at the end, the start of the Dan Maloney story that I am so into. And Dan Maloney's going to have a big couple of months, and I'm so excited to, to to go along with it. Dan Maloney came out, and he made the challenge to Osprey, and he was he was stomping around like you'd expect uh, Maloney to do. And Osprey just goes, and it's just such a. I mean, I'm building up to it now. You might even be disappointed with it, but it's such a a beautiful little moment when he went, "Yeah, I've got a challenge to make." I challenged Luke Jacobs. He challenged Maloney's rival. He challenged Maloney's rival. And I just think that was just such a... I mean, I know that's so me, isn't it, to get really overexcited about a little story moment like that. But I'm like, you know, the, the fire that it lit under Jacobs and just the shift that it had. And we've we've going into this thing now where Osprey will face Maloney, but only if Maloney can have a series of matches, opponents picked by Gideon Gray for the next York, and he can win every match through the next York Hall show, he can face Osprey. And Osprey says, I want the old Maloney back. And what Osprey is so great at as well, and this is such an underrated thing, he's been able to dance that line of work shoot because most work shoots stink the pipe bomb stuff 99% of them are terrible and um, Osprey gets so much flack for being a bad promo he's he's an excellent promo because he could do things like this he's talking about when Maloney got fired from WWE and he came back on the independent scene with a with a fire under him and he respected that damn Maloney. But now Maloney's got so wrapped up in being pathetic, he, uh, this obsession with Luke Jacobs, that you've lost your edge. And Osprey made a weird comment at this promo that I thought was pretty funny. He talked about Flash Morgan Webster DMing Akira asking for Rocky Romero's email. <laughs> I thought it was excellent. Again, I mean, I'm all for these people coming back and I know they're people and they just want to put food on the table and all that. But if you sign that NXT UK contract, 
This is what you've got to deal with now. He really bugged me. And I like Flash Morgan Webster. And I like Pro Wrestling Chaos. But I'll tell you what, when he put on Twitter, you know, oh, you couldn't pay me to watch WWE and they tried. Ha, ha, ha. I thought, you don't get to do that, Sunshine. You don't get to do that because you crossed the picket line. Sometimes you're better off keeping your mouth shut. Sometimes you're better off saying nothing. You could justify it reasonably, but you're never going to get people to agree that it was the right thing to do. So don't try and babyface yourself now. Said I wasn't going to get angry this episode, but there you go. Dog's gone to bed. Um, yeah, I, the end, you know, this show, in terms of matches, they, you know, there wasn't anything amazing on it. There wasn't anything that was going to blow your mind. And Maloney Jacobs was, was great. Cave and Gale was really good. Cameron Kai against Oku was exciting, but for the, you know, the Kai thing and, and, the, and being new. But it just felt fresh. I mean, on this one show, we've got Leighton Buzzard, we've got Cameron Kai, um, we've got um, JJ Gale, Will Caven. Some of those are new. Some of those have sort of been opening wrestlers and you know, you know wrestlers we don't really feel like we've seen very much of. It just felt so exciting. And then that promo at the end, and it felt... <coughs> it did exactly... I mean, talk about Osprey being a bad promo. That promo did exactly what it was supposed to do. It got me excited for the future. Got me excited for the next show. So let's talk about the next show. Let's go to Cardiff. I have to say, I don't know what happened here. I don't know if the crowd were mic better, and it's always like this at the shows down south, but the Cardiff crowd were absolutely fantastic in this show. The atmosphere and the energy they brought to this show was palpable. What a great wrestling crowd. What a great wrestling crowd. It reminds me of those GWF shows where, you know, the wrestling might not always be brilliant, but you've just got this enthusiastic, fair, you know, they're not just like progress where they cheer from Gurn for anything, but just were really invested in what was going on and really excited to be to, to be seeing what they were seeing. And, and really, the, the, the MVP of this show with the crowd, I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Starting off with Mills versus David Francisco. Uh, love bit of David Francisco. And again, talk about being fresh. We've not seen Connor Mills on the last show. We're not in this routine of seeing the same wrestlers every single show. So when Connor... I forgot about Connor Mills, to be honest with you. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Because when Connor Mills came out, and I love his new look, I love, love his new entrance, I love his new attitude, I thought, hey, Connor Mills, brilliant. And he was, you know, really good. You know, the whole first part of this match was both Mills and Francisco looking for that bomb and then Francisco plays his great underdog that he does absolutely fantastic but ultimately Connor Mills dominated the match and that's rare for Andy he, 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 he tends to want things to go a little bit more competitive and 50-50 and he didn't hear just Connor Mills is getting a push Connor Mills is doing really well he's establishing, establishing himself as someone to beat and I'm thinking, as I'm watching this match, I'm thinking, I wonder where they're going to go with Connor Mills. And then at the end, Connor Mills picks up, because he won, he picks up the microphone and he says, do you know what? Everybody dies. And I'm like, oh, right. Lance Archer. That's where he's going. 
and talk about the subtlety hammer because then Andy on commentary goes, is that a message for someone who may or may not be booked in future? And I thought, yes, it is, Andy. We all understood it. Let us have that little moment of getting a reference, pretending it's subtle, and going, my wrestling capital is worth enough for me to understand that. But he didn't let us have that. He robbed us of that moment. But anyway, next up, Suji against Maloney. This red prone batch excitement. Maloney's going through this trial. He, he wants this big match against Osprey. He's almost done everything there is to do in Red Pro, Dan Maloney, or that he can do. And he needs this test. He's on this personal journey. But he's been put against Yota Suji. Yota Suji very rarely loses. I mean, because he's a New Japan star, isn't he? What a great first match to put him in. Put him against the guy who never loses. I love the fact that they babyface Maloney, but what I love the most about this, and we're going to see this quite a lot throughout this show, is that they've babyface Maloney, got the crowd behind him, but they've not really changed who he is. He's still the jacked-up chav that swears and screams in the, in the ring. He still does the same moves. He's just got this story now behind him that's engaging and captivating and understandable. Relatable, I should say, rather than understandable. And what a brilliantly subtle way to babyface someone. You don't change who people are because you highlight that it's fake. You just give me something about them to latch onto. And that's what they did so well here. And there was just little bits like, at the start, Maloney had to wrestle a little bit more. And you're thinking, is he trying to prove that to himself, that he can wrestle? He's not just a fighter. Or is it a case of, look, I'm not going to be able to just batter Yota Suji. He's from the New Japan Dojo. He's tough as all get out. So I need to wrestle. I need to get that part of my game up to scratch. You know, Suji gets a little bit of pace in it. It bothered Maloney. So he started hitting him even more. It was a wrestling contest and Suji was better at wrestling. And Maloney had to get back into that fight and the crowd just went absolutely with him. This is a Maloney story and the determination of him. And I tell you something, we talked about Robbie X improving his promos before. My word, Dan Maloney's promos have improved. I think part of it is give him a real relatable story that he can sink his teeth into because that's what they've done here. But jeez Louise was the promo at the end of this good. It was so good, I'm going to read a line from it. I wrote it down. And he's shouting at Osprey. And he's saying, you know, Osprey's got all this money. And he got, you know, he thinks he's the big man because he's on these big stages and he's a millionaire. And he's going to all these shops and he's buying all these designer clothes. And he, he, gave, he gave a bit of life advice here, Dan Maloney, that I think we, sh we should all follow. And he says, you could go to the shops... You can buy all the things you want, but I'll tell you something. You can't buy a pair of bollocks like mine from the shop. And what a, like a lovely thing. To, you know, you've got the rich kid Osprey 
flashing his cash everywhere, coming in in his big Conor McGregor robes. And Dan Maloney got the confidence to stand there and say, I don't need all that because I've got a big pair of bollocks. What a line. What a promo. I loved it. I'm so into RevPro at the minute. Oh, my word. Next up, as I shuffle my papers, <coughs> we have BBB against the Greedy Souls. BBB uh, tag team on a little bit of a run at the minute. Um, it's uh, Mirko Mori and Nico Invernardi, Italian tag team. Uh, don't really know them very much, if I'm completely honest with you. Uh, they're not a tag team that I've seen very often. I think I've seen them before, but they, they wrestle pretty much exclusively in Italy. Uh, I think I've seen them in WXW, I want to say. Or, you know, a random place somewhere like that. But they're, they're good, you know. They're, they're, they're very much establishing themselves. And this match against Greedy Souls was there to do that. And again... I'm talking about RevPro finally getting and getting back to this idea of telling simple, great stories. Greedy souls are, are big bruisers. And when they wrestle in London, when they wrestle in Southampton, they're heels. A few months ago, they were doing ref distractions. They were tripping people up. They were getting themselves counted out. They're not doing that anymore. They're fighting. They're fighting champions. And they're baddies everywhere. Everyone hates them because they're arrogant and they're cocky. But where are they now? They're in Cardiff, the home. And they're in front of a brilliant Welsh crowd who loved them, who, who looked at them and thought they were fantastic and they cheered for them. And what did they do? Did Greedy Souls change the way they act? No, they lent into it. They were still the big tough men. They were what they're... The, the, they were made in Wales and they were back in Wales and they were being what Wales made them. And that's the feel that I got. And I never get patriotic. I'm not Welsh, so why would I be patriotic about Wales? I never get into that national thing. But I got so behind it. And I love it. I love it when booking a wrestling isn't this... You know, do you remember? He always used to book with Cody Rhodes. He, he talked about this a lot and it bugged me that he was one of the only prominent wrestlers talking about this. And he completely misunderstood it. The idea of being a tweener, that sometimes you cheered and sometimes you booed. And he said he wanted to be that, but he wouldn't do that. What he'd do is he'd go out, he'd gauge the crowd. If they cheer him, he'd start doing babyface hope spots. And if they booed him, he'd start doing back rakes. That's not being a tweener. Being a tweener is being consistent and letting the crowd make the decision. And being in Cardiff, being in their hometown, got that. For the greedy souls. And it was brilliant. I mean, think of the best wrestlers of all time. They did that, didn't they? The Rock did that. He let you come to him. Stone Cold Steve Austin let you come to him. Naito let you come to him. Through story and realism. Maybe not The Rock. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe he did. He was just the coolest guy in the room, wasn't he? That 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 was what he was. He was just really, really cool and said funny stuff. And like I say, this was just a, tra a traditional tag. Souls were still wrestling like the heels. They were beating down the babyface team, and you know, getting the babyface team got hot tags. But they were doing it with the crowd behind them because we all understood this story. Big slabs from white, huge boots quickly, atmosphere. 
That's what this had. And I don't know if it's just the fact the Cardiff crowd were great. I don't know if the fact, you know, it's Red Pro finally decided to mic the crowd properly. But there was atmosphere. And it didn't matter that Brendan White looked a bit gassed at the end. In fact, I, lo- I like the fact he was a bit gassed at the end. He was fighting through it for us, for the Cardiff crowd. I feel like I've turned a bit Welsh. I mean, I, lo- I love Wales. My mother-in-law lives in Wales, and we often have drives through. And I've, I've always said, there's just little pockets of Wales that are just utterly beautiful. Like, you'll be driving along these coast roads, and you'll find, like, a cove with, like, deep blue sea. And yeah, I love Wales. I think it's fantastic. My dad used to run a campsite in Bala as well. And I'd spent a lot of time in Bala, and just, I, yeah, I love Wales. And I love the greedy souls. And I love the story they're telling. Next up, we had Akira against uh, Leon Slater. Um, it's interesting here, this one. I, I like this match. Again, it was another good match. But it was interesting to see Akira against Slater because Akira is very different from Leon Slater. You know, Leon Slater's got that immediate charisma. And when you'd watch Akira in um, All Japan, he, he's, he's took time to build that charisma. But also in the work, I think that Akira is a few steps along in terms of that work just being much more polished. And it was interesting to see this pairing and and, and and see that, yeah, Slater's got potential, but he's still got a long way to go. And he's getting better every time. But yeah, it was good. Again, the match was really good. You got the dive over the corner that I love so much. Um, it, there was lots of... You know, Slater was great at getting the desperate uh, pinfall attempts in this. Because you know that this would be just the biggest win of his life, you know, to beat... Um, Francisco Akira. Um, so, yeah, it's really good match. Next up, we had Danny Luna against Sky Smithson. Uh, and again, Danny Luna is someone who I've taken a complete 180 on. I wasn't impressed with her very much when I first started seeing her. But she's just become a... You know, she's got a bit of a story behind her now, hasn't she? she you know, she's got to carry this division. You know, she's the champion. She's the Southside champion. She's going to be a fighting champion. And she's going to battle people like Sky Smithson who are utterly terrifying. Sky Smithson's charisma is brilliant. You know, she looks like she could absolutely destroy me with a pinky. And I thought Daniel Lee were great. And, the, you know, the crowd were really into it. Again, that great crowd really helped. Um... And they really got Danny Luna over in this. You know, Smithson was beating her down, beating her down, and everyone was willing her to fight back. You know, lots of brutal big drops at the ring, um, uh, on the side of the ring, you know, the hardest part of the ring. Um, and Danny Luna won by a roll-up, and Sky Smithson lost her mind. And the crowd, it's tricky, isn't it, roll-up wins? They can often be really unsatisfying. But the crowd erupted, and I erupted as well. And I, Yeah, I thought this was a, a really good match. Again, next one. Oh, I, I, I mean, you can hear me flicking. How many notes I've made? What I try and do normally is, as I've, I used to take so many notes, but what I try and do now is have a page per match and I can write five bullet points at most. And I try and do three. But I've just written pages and pages. Uh, this was, uh, next was Robbie X against Harrison Bennett. Fresh again, Harrison Bennett. I think it's his second or third time with Red Pro. And again... Welsh lad, crowd well behind him. You know, even to the point that Robbie X got booed. You know, this was a crowd that would, would had had life to them. 
and had reality to them and just you know he he, he was brilliant uh Harrison Bennett is a bit he's a baddie. You know, he attacked Robbie X at the last show in a really cliched way to get this challenge. You know, he came out and pretended to help him, but then battered him. Um and he's he comes out here because he's the local lad that he's he's and, but again, did it change his work? You know, Harrison Rake does things like back rakes and stuff, and he's he he he, he kept doing that. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, the match was a bit plodding. Um Harrison Bennett struggled in control. There was like too many rest holds and stuff. You know, it sort of slowed down a bit too much. It felt a little bit drawn out. But by the end, Harrison Bennett's desperation was really good. And so much in this show felt like it mattered. I don't mean in terms of going forward necessarily, in terms of booking, although that as well. But this was a really big moment from Harrison Bennett. And I felt like he was in a big moment. And I think when you feel, you can forgive little shortcomings in terms of the work. And I mean, obviously, if you want to get to those tippy-top matches, it's got to be both sides of the coin, hasn't it? You know, it's you've got to have those two things come together. But I can get invested in a story, even if the work isn't crisp and clean. And it wasn't crisp and clean here. Um, it was a referee stoppage, this one. Bennett landed funny. He did... Um, he sort of he did a spine buster and he hit his shoulder. Um it was clearly a, a, a shoe injury. Um let's have a look on his Twitter. Has he got a Twitter? Let's have a look. Harrison Bennett and see if he's out. I mean I assume he's put it on Twitter. Oh yeah, I am following him. Because um, 'cause it'd be a real shame if he's out because he he's been uh oh no, shoulders a little worse for wear. Feeling on top of the world, I'm on the road to recovery. Um, so yeah, he's he's out, he's injured, which is a shame. But hopefully they can sort of turn that round a little bit and uh, and um, maybe turn that into part of the story. I think I think they will. Anyway, next up, yeah, I can't see anything else on there about the injury. Right. What did I just say about having a good story could invest you in a match and get you really into it? Despite the fact that people in there might not be very good. There are very few stories in pro wrestling that hook you and grab you more than the big monster against the smaller wrestler. Now, when that smaller wrestler is William Osprey, it's going to have a certain floor, isn't it? You're going to think, oh, this is going to have a certain standard. When the big man is Damo, that might temper your expectations slightly. I will never forget the first time I ever saw Hiroshi Tanahashi live was in Reading. And it was against Big Damo. And I know I always say, you go and watch greatness and you'll regret not going... And it doesn't matter if they booked in a garbage little match or whatever. But big demo. Anyway, I saw Tanahashi. I don't. Re- I don't remember the match. I remember seeing Tanahashi and being in his presence, which was amazing. But anyway, NXT's own demo comes out, and the crowd. I know I keep labouring the point, but the reception that Will Osprey got. The volume of this crowd, the cheering for Osprey, the chanting, 
the old chants that I feel like I've not heard for ages of the Osprey chants and you know, it was just brilliant. I mean, even Damo literally mooning the crowd at one point couldn't temper my excitement on this match because, again, this match, it's not a work-rate classic. I'm not saying go and watch it and it's four and a half stars. It's not. I don't even think it was a four-star match, but it was Osprey turning his hand to any style of pro wrestling and just being perfect. How many wrestlers could you think of that would have a match like Osprey against Omega in the January? And you're not thinking that is going to be the best match of his career. There's a very good chance that at some point Osprey is going to have a better match than that. And I don't, when I star rate, I don't do these pluses, I don't break the five point scale. Um, not that I'm offended by that, by the way. If if you get bothered by Dave Meltzer breaking the five-star scale, look in a mirror. Have a word with yourself. I just think, for me, I'm saying five stars is one of the best matches of all time. Undoubtedly. And it's, it's an undoubtedly thing as well. I, I definitely subscribe to that theory of, if I have to think about it, it's not five stars. When it's five stars, you know. The only time I've ever been tempted to break the scale in wrestling that I've watched in real time is that Osprey against Omega match. And I don't think, I don't think it's going to be the best match of his career. I really don't. And I'm watching him here against Big Damo. Big Damo's the big baddie beating him up. And Will Osprey literally hulks up he literally hulks up. He's pounding around, clenching his fist, getting back into the match. And I'm into it. A captivating performance. He's hulking up, for God's sake. He's wrestling like it's 1985 and doing it brilliantly. The selling. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it was, look, it was a bit drawn out towards the end. You know, there was a kick out at one from the Hidden Blade and all that stuff. And you're just like, all right, take it home, lads. You know, because that's ultimately the thing, isn't it? You know Osprey's not going to lose, nor should he lose. I think he should lose to Dan Maloney, but, you know, that's another story. Um, it's, it's weird the way Osprey sort of flips his finishes, doesn't he? Like, sometimes it's the Hidden Blade that works. Sometimes it's the... Oh, what's it called? The one where he does the double underhook into the spin. Oh, it's gone. You're shouting it now at your stereo, aren't you? Um, I can't remember. Whatever it was. Um, but, again, babyface promo at the end. Uplifted everybody. This, you know, this is what we've been missing from promotions, and particularly in Repro for so long. You've got a star. And, yeah, this star's Osprey, one of the best wrestlers of all time. So, Perhaps it's a bit unfair to judge it by those standards. But he's doing promos at the end of these shows and babyface promos. And everyone's going away happy. And the Cardiff crowd are happy anyway. They were amazing. I, I want that. I want to invite... No, I don't. I'm gonna. I nearly invited someone to me. I don't want to invite anyone to my house. I, I wanna, I'd like to live in peace. But if I was the sort of person who invited people to houses, I would invite that Cardiff crowd. I love this show. I thought it was a great show. And again... You know, in terms of great matches, I mean, what did we get? I, uh, what was the best match on the show? 
probably Suji Maloney. Just every, I mean, this is a house show, isn't it, basically? In every show I was into, all the little stories for me to sink my teeth into. Everything's got wheels moving at a good pace. You know, it's not breakneck. You can, it's got time to breathe and sit. By You know, I was into the Southampton show. By the time I finished that show, I couldn't wait for Birmingham. So let's go there now. Let's go to the Midlands and talk about the Birmingham show. All right, so we're down in the Midlands. We're down at Birmingham. We're on a roll with open for another great show. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the the show they've uploaded is missing the first two matches. Um, it's missing Greedy Souls against Act Two and Yota. Well, it's it starts halfway through Yota Suji Zack Knight, so I've just skipped that. Um, and I'm kind of done with Zack Knight anyway. I think he's had a good little run that's fit what he you know, an appropriate run, I suppose. But I, I think it's kind of time to cycle Zack Knight out now. I don't know what else we could do with him. I haven't seen this match, to be fair. So I, I can't really talk about that too much. Um, So I'm, I'm going to whiz through the undercard of this one because the main event, wow. Uh, Maria De La Rosa against Danny Luna. Um, the, it was a really interesting version of Maria De La Rosa because I've seen her a couple of times and, she, and she's does this, I'm the Queen of Spain and you're beneath me kind of routine in some places. But here, you know, she didn't. She came out and they sort of played it straight and they really got a big fight feel for this one. You know, they did the championship introductions and, and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, Maria De La Rosa's just not a very good wrestler, um, is what it is. Uh, but it's all about Danny Luna, isn't it? It was decisive. It was a decisive victory when it was it needed to be. And I'm getting really excited for the Alex Windsor return. I'm looking at Twitter, it looks like she's getting ready for a return. And I'm, I'm really into that that match. You know, Danny Luna's really built herself up as someone to, to take seriously. Um, next up, we had Lycos 2 against Akira. Um, do you know, I talked about the commentary before. I mean, this match was, was pretty much what you'd expect um, from the new... Uh, attitude of Lycos, you know, Kid Lycos 2 was, played it straight down the middle and lost to Akira, and Akira's great, you know, he's unpredictable, isn't he? He knew when to hit that chop, and Kid Lycos 2 was great at the selling and the desperation. Same with the Leon Slater thing, he knew this would be a massive win, and he just went for it and went for it, and it's it's mad, isn't it? We talked about slight changes of, uh, of perception. I'm willing to like Austin win a match, genuinely. You know, I, I'm really into this new new version of Lycos. It's kind of what I always wanted from them, you know. Just, yeah, they can be cheeky chappies, but wrestle, because you're both great wrestlers. So just wrestle, you know. It's it's nuts, isn't it? You know, I remember watching Joe Nelson a lot as Kid Lycos too, uh, around sort of little Northern promotions and thinking he was going to be somebody. And then when he decided to do the Lycos thing, I was, I was no... I'd start, don't do it. But if they're going to do this new Lycos, he, he absolutely should. I think Problem Child's great. I'm really into him in this match. Uh, but yeah, what I was saying was the commentary. Um, Great for the three shows. I think, you know, they were both really, really good. Uh, it was Andy with, um, what's he called? Uh, Geo, is it? The, guy, the new guy? He's the guy that does the... Um, the uh, sort of the sometimes does the ring introductions and he's been on commentary a couple of times. He he can very very occasionally, very occasionally dip into being 
a bit of a video game commentator, you know, just sort of saying random things and that that, that are just stuff that commentators say. But actually, for the most part, he's been really good. And I like the way they're calling matches straight now. You know, there was a bit where Lycos, they do, you know, when they do the brain buster, they go, brain buster. And Andy Quilden just went really quickly. Mistake. That's a mistake. Don't call it. Akira's not going to, he's going to try and get out of it sooner rather than sort of go up and try and reverse it into something. He's just going to try and get out of it. Because that's your finisher. That's your big move. He's going to avoid it at all costs. And I thought, yeah, that's a really good... If if this were real, that's what the commentators would say. And I thought the commentators have, have got a nice little vibe together. I, I liked it. Next up, we had Caven and Gideon Gray against BBB. I mean, this was fine. It was comedy, you know. Uh, the Caven segments were, were actually really good. Um, and I like Caven in the Legion. I think if he's, he's going to be like him and Lucian Phillips, I think you know the the misfits the kind of the strange weirdos that that's a, a, a i mean i'm saying that as a strange weirdo myself i'm not i'm talking about the characters you know, i'm not being insulted i i think that that works you know that they um are, are in that kind of campy faction um so i'm glad caven's in there and like i say i'm, I'm starting to come around on caven a little bit i'm starting to see the potential in him again um he had one of my favorite spots in wrestling uh, that Giddy Giddy Gray did it. I loved it. He, the heel does a pin. There's a very very distinctive clear kick out. You know, just about on two. You know, like two and a quarter, something like that. And it turns the heel turns to the referee and says, "That was three, when it really obviously wasn't. I mean, brilliant spot. Um, this was too long, too too many shenanigans. Zack Knight came out, and I, I don't know if something happened earlier in the show that I missed, but I wasn't really into this match to be honest with you. Next up, we had Gabe Kidd against Michael Oku. And I've been a little bit critical of uh, Gabe Kidd recently. I've, you know, he goes into the big slapping, the big punching thing really quickly. And I like that, obviously. It's great. It's very visceral, real. You know, Gabe Kidd's great at it. But it, it feels sometimes like if you've seen one Gabe Kidd match, you've seen them all. And it, he needs something to shake things up and, be, and, and make things a little bit more exciting. And he did that here. He took an extra step in his character by putting Michael Oku straight into a half crab. The first thing he did in the match was put a man in his own finishing move, which I thought was great. And yeah, they you know they went to the kicks and stuff, but and the slap fest. But yeah, like I say, that's emotive. I, I just think Kid needs to find these little bits of character a little bit to take that next step. Now he's very very good, and to be great, he needs to he needs to keep um, working on those sorts of things. I mean, pure drama of a submission attempt in this. It was just, it was, just, it was, it was really good. Um, they did the Davy Richards suplex spot. You know, the the suplex out of the ring, and that was the finish. And it ended up in a double count out. And the crowd booed on a double count out. And normally, I'd be with them. I think double count out stink. But in this case, with that spot. I, I, I thought it was a good finish. I think the crowd were off base by booing that one. But, you know, generally speaking, they'd be right. Next up, we had Luke Jacobs against Will Ospreay. This is a match to seek out. And I'm not talking about this. Like, I know I'm, I'm talking to fans of British and European wrestling. And sometimes it's the assumption that when you say things like that, you're talking in the context of British and European wrestling. 
And look, we've always got to be honest about the scene. We're not getting five-star matches every week. And, you know, that gives you a bit of a context. And you say on the shows like this, you say, hey, go and watch this match. It's, it's really good. You know I'm talking about like a four-star match. You know what I mean? You know that. I'm not using that context when I say go and watch this match. Just go and watch this match. It starts off with Luke Jacobs in the ring. And Will Ospreay just points at him. Squats in the corner. Bouncing. And says, when that bell goes, we go. And we go at each other hard. And the crowd bubbled with it when they realised what had happened. And I realised what had happened. And they timed it perfectly. At that moment of them almost revving up in the corner. And the bell went. And they ran at each other. And they started punching and punching and punching and punching. And the crowd were going mental. And I was going mental. And my dog had run under the the dining room table. Terrified. Because I was in some kind of violent rage along with them. And the commentary were yelling over the top of it. I said the commentary were good. And Gio saying, these two hate each other's guts. You know, we see them, they, they bicker and argue backstage. They don't like each other. And they, you know, it's never something that's been brought to mind. But they're just letting all their frustration, their anger out on each other. And I was so into this. Jacob slaps Osprey in the face. And that spot can be so cliched and it can be so drawn out. and But sometimes certain great wrestlers can just get that level of disrespect that comes with the slap perfectly. And Luke Jacobs did. They suplexed each other and suplexed each other and suplexed each other. And they both stood up and just fell down. And they said, again... <coughs> and in the hands... Of weaker wrestlers, it would have looked corny. But it, they sold it perfectly, the collapse. And the crowd erupted when they both hit the floor. And I erupted with them. Big neck bumps. Huge neck bumps. Love a neck bump. I mean, ultimately, it was dominant. Osprey won this fairly convincingly. You know, the story was that, you know, Luke Jacob, I mean, he was able to kick out of the Stormbreaker. That's what it is, Stormbreaker. He was able to kick out of it at one. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, he kicked out the Stormbreaker one, not the Hidden Blade. He just sort of rolled out. You know, the story was Jacobs was hanging on with this wrestler who was so far above his level. But Jacobs had to be killed. He had to be killed in this match. This was a brilliant match. And I've watched three brilliant Rev Pro shows. And the big exclamation mark at the end is this match. And it, I, it was a fantastic, fantastic match. It's the best British wrestling match of the year. The best British wrestling match of the year so far. And honestly, I think the only people that are going to beat it are Rev Pro themselves. Are Rev Pro themselves. This was, I, I, I'm just absolutely captivated and drawn along with Rev Pro now. I, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed these three shows. I thought, I mean, again, take this with the caveat that it's not going to be a case of, all right, um, 
you know, you could you, I mean, the last match was, and there was a couple of you know four star plus matches dotted around, but it's just these stories, and they started to show they could do this for me with the Mills Oku stuff that they could tell these real great stories, and they they've that's now spreading around the roster. And things are starting to fall into place better. You know, you've got Caven who's in a better position than he was. You know, you've got JJ Gale who's moving upwards. You've got Dan Maloney who's on this incredible story with his big bollocks that you can't buy in a shop. You've got Osprey doing these amazing babyface promos, headlining every show and winning matches. And, you know, the way he was at Osprey at the end of the Jacobs match, you know, it. He, he, the attic, you know, I don't know if it was real or not, but you know, getting the the medics out to check on Jacobs, but then he was respectful and he opened the ropes for him and he he applied just babyface stuff, almost like, oh man, the only way I could beat you was by smashing you with a hidden blade, but I didn't want to, you know, I I I have to win the match, and I'm sorry I had to go that far to win it, but that's because you're such a great competitor. Oh, just just three great shows, three great shows. I'm going to go to the Sheffield one. I was on the fence, and I'm going to go. So if you're at the Sheffield one, um, if you see a scruffy bloke sat on his own, that's me. What day is it? When is it? The Sheffield one is the 12th of March. Oh, I've got Warhammer. (laughs) Anyway, I'll see if I can move somewhere around. I've got a big Warhammer event that day. Uh, Maybe I'm not going. I'll have to see. But I'd love to. I really want to go. And do you know what I've just realised as well? I've just flicked onto the desk, onto the disc, Discord and Chris has made the point that Okan, he's talking about Okan being the champion of the British. Okan, we've not even got a champion. The champion's not even here. And I'm this excited. Anyway, I'm about to go over my time. Uh, let's wrap things up and I'll go and calm myself down. I hope you can see now why, as much as I've been trying to move away from talking about RevPro, or at least doing shows completely dedicated to RevPro, I absolutely had to do that with this run of shows, because yet the wrestling, like I say, it's not five-star classics all the way through, but every show's been great. And, you know, there, there has been the, that top-level work as well. I, I'm I'm so enthused by them and so excited by them that I, I just I, I had to dedicate the episode to them. RevPro are back, baby. Um, never mind New Japan. That's the the you know the hip the 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 what's the word the popular take. You know, oh yeah, new everyone's excited about New Japan being back. But if you're real, if you, <laughs> I just realised, I'm like you know um, when I said before about how I could try to be cool. That that's what I was doing then. I'm trying to be cool and listen to how it sounded. But it's Red Pro. It's not cool. It's never been cool. I don't care. It's wrestling. And it's wrestling for me and you. It's brilliant wrestling. I, I can't, I just, I'm, I'm so into it. Um, so I don't know what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Probably, <laughs> probably Red Pro. Um, I'm hoping Purpose Wrestling had a show. And I don't know if it's gone up yet on the YouTube. Let me double check. Um, because when it does, we'll, we'll, we'll watch it. We'll, we'll get it on there. Um, no, it's not gone up yet. It's still, the last one is still, um, Puppies of Forever, which we talked about. Uh, but yeah, as soon as we can get a review of that Friday, I'm in love show, then we'll, we'll, um, we'll get that done. Uh, we've also got Carrot Weekend coming up soon, so it'd be nice to talk about that for a little bit. I don't know. I don't want to think about it at the minute. I just want to go away and bask in this. You know, there's no better feeling than this, is there? 
There's no better feeling than this when you're enthused and excited about some wrestling that you've seen. You know, that kind of 10 o'clock Wrestle Kingdom feeling is, is like the, the epitome of it, isn't it? What was that Wrestle Kingdom, that run of matches that started with um, Goto cho- uh, being choked out by Suzuki? And there was like four four-star plus matches. Or that... Um, that famous night of the G1 where every match was, was four-star plus. You know, it's, it's not on that level. You know, don't get, I've not lost my mind. But I, I've, I, it's a it's a, a light version of that feeling and, and, and I just, I want to bask in it and, and, and live in it for a while. Um, and I hope I've helped you to do that as well. So don't forget, get in the Discord. If you fancy it, follow me on Twitter, EuroGrapCXP. Um, I, I don't really go on it to be honest so <laughs> follow me if you want I'm not bothered uh, but yeah definitely get in the discord and uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.